0: Uh, tell us um, what was China to like. In the land of China, people hardly got nothing at all. No possessions?
1: In the land of China, they don't go to church.
2: Hard to imagine. What's what's your what's your house number here? 72 and a half? 77 and a half. Studio 77 and a half. You betcha. If you Google
1: search for Jessica's name, it uh, her
2: address pops up.
1: On like the Google map, mm, no. I was like, "That's not ideal." She's, <laughs>
2: she's been here longer,
1: but it's like you have enough data from your leaking from your website, and Google thinks it's all public knowledge.
2: Oh, I see what you're saying. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if you're a
1: stalker, there's a perfect profile that Google just brings Wait, up. Where
2: where would she have put her address in? Like her uh, Facebook or something. Well, it's
1: probably on her her mailing address for her website. So Google's yeah. like, "Well, this you've made it public information, but they've made it extra easy." Uh, that's to the, Targeter. That's the essence of the company, I think. Right? like. Oh, I've seen those A frame houses that you've been collaging on the internet, and I'm your number one fan. So Steve Chabot returns from the Orient. Yeah. Long
2: lost traveler. It's, uh, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's only a year. It's not as long as some other people, But, but you're going back! Yeah, going back on sun- Sunday afternoon. Aren't you just warmed up now? Like, you probably
1: well, start I mean, to get it, a taste for it. It, it.
2: it takes a year. Well, first we did, like, a year of just fucking around. Like, a year of just traveling around. I studied Chinese for a couple of months. Um, and then, I guess, another half of a year of just, like, starting to make some money and, and settling down. Yeah, we moved into a new apartment. So, yeah, it takes about a year to lay down some sort of roots, I guess.
1: I think that this is a brilliant opportunity for you to um, start thinking of your life as some sort of video game. You're off on this adventure, and you're a white person in China, and I think that you should get a $5,000 suit and some expensive shoes and a really expensive watch and just see where you can go. Like, just start knocking on doors and saying, like, hey, I want to take a look at your business and
2: stuff. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it, it it's a lot easier to kind of... to to do that I'd like to print your own business card and to say you're somebody and people will take you a little more seriously you're thinking of investing <laughs> and
1: you, go, you want to tour the yeah. factory well i
2: mean you you watch <laughs> i watched this documentary on the bbc of like three british dudes and one guy is just like i want to be the king of worldwide pillow distribution exactly so, so he goes and he you know, opens his own pillow factory
1: an importer exporter yeah isn't that what most people do over there that are rich
2: uh I guess that was what what you would do at the beginning. I mean, now they got it. They they're kind of moving beyond like basic manufacturing, and they got you know their own internet companies. And I, if you're a Westerner, yeah, still a lot of I hear a lot of people like heard this one guy he starts importing lcd screens for bars and stuff mm. and then he buys the factory that he imports from so now he's the L C D B kingpin you know? yeah he owns the vertical integration of the chain kind Oh, of uh-huh. fucking out I, I mean i don't know how cut out i am for business though like, i i think that it would just be an adventure right yeah you could yeah do it like I, a i'm catch totally me as
1: catch me as you can kind of prank where you just go into the banks and stuff and say with your confidence and your million dollar smile you say like give me a loan for a hundred thousand basically basically. and then buy a factory and then there's
2: there's a guy in in cn who wants to import canadian this canadian that he's always got some scheme involving canada because he made his first business was like a canadian china aerospace joint venture aerospace aerospace so we went to see his office in cn and there's like an entire floor that's just a model of canadian and, and chinese aerospace milestones is
1: that just planes is that just airlines or do, is oh, there it's a like space it's like canadarm satellite? and stuff like that
2: oh you know my satellites God. And so he wants to now move into like environmental products like he said people t- pay tens of millions of dollars for you know a camera that can see in the fog or something mm-hmm. and so he wants me to come and, and talk to the talk to talk to businesses who might want to sell their shit in china but i feel like you'd be good at that I, I, I don't. I, I don't. I don't doubt that I'd be good at it. Yeah,
1: I think that'd be a that'd be a, a super fun kind of thing, just as a culture jamming exercise. If nothing else, you could just see how being in a different circumstance and being um, the odd man out in a
2: positive way, what that could lead to. Yeah, we were talking earlier about how I got a, I met a contact at a bar who who works for. He's an American working for a Chinese company. like trying and he's like we got to convince these natives to stop fighting us on lame pipeline in their territory and i was like we need you're a canadian what do you need to give us your insights and what would you say i was like uh i don't know kind of agree (laughs) (laughs) i didn't tell him though but what am i supposed to do like put on a a power suit yeah and uh, have a briefcase and be like the indian agent (laughs) (laughs) for the dark side yeah
1: so he just he say like well you listen. most Canadians
2: have kind of an intimate connection to the wilderness and we think yeah, it's a little fucked up. This guy was great. Up. He was telling all the stories about his his mom used to run the bordello in his town mm-hmm. until she was you know was 80. She yeah. was the mamason or whatever the the, the 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 what would you call it in English? The like the mistress of the house. Yeah. And so she the madam, the madam right. So she would meet all the politicians and it was just you know like an old-timey whorehouse until until she died and they had to close it down and he was the kid of the madam yeah he was the kid of the madam that's like don draper yeah i guess that's true <laughs> yeah fast forward yeah. and now he's laying fucking pipeline well i mean not only that but he's like single and in china and he's got money and so all these women are beaten down past through his door so he's laying down
1: but does his money hug him at night doesn't no, tuck but... him into bed and said, <laughs> says <some> listen <laughs> <lesson. laughs> yeah. i wonder if um he wears a cowboy hat
2: when he's working in in texas mm, he didn't seem that type he was a little not so much george w bush he had a little bit of like more of like the louisiana kind of uh, you know he was the the son of a madam he's got a little bit of the effeminate kind of
1: hmm like a little finger type of character yeah yeah little
2: hmm. finger yeah, so he wasn't a cowboy cowboy hat wearing type.
1: I noticed that uh, when Apple watched, uh, launched its watch the other day, they've got plenty of gold and red yeah. products. Yeah, yeah. In yeah.
2: Every, Everything in China is gold and red. All the signs are yellow and red or gold and red.
1: We're uh, introducing an unparalleled level
0: of technical innovation combined with a design that connects with the wearer at an intimate level to both embrace individuality
2: and
1: inspire desire. Uh,
2: that that watch is fucking ugly I would never wear that thing yeah. and I love Apple everything else uh-huh.
1: so, Do you think get... Johnny Ives fucking up? Do you think his, his taste uh, level is not quite aligned? I mean
2: people say it's the 1.0 Apple curse But um, My my theory about it is I went to like a lean startup meeting in Beijing And they had a lot of people from uh, South Korea Giving mm-hmm. talks about the state of apps And bullshit in South Korea And they had like an over 100% Penetration rate for cell phones so the reason they're pushing wearables, I think, is because they can't sell people anymore cell phones. Everyone mm-hmm. has one. Mm-hmm. Every, there's no more growth in cell phones. So they want people to get on. You know, now they have two things to wear every day. Yeah, But uh, people in China, they carry around two cell phones, three cell phones. One's your work cell phone. One's your home cell phone. One's your mistress cell phone. Mm-hmm. And they're always constantly like laying them out, flopping them on the table. <laughs>
1: Do they label them so they don't pick up the <laughs> no, wrong one all, the you wrong know, One's
2: really big because I like it. One has better data. I don't know. Whatever. To me, it's all about,
1: uh, it's a shift in paradigms, right? Like, it has those groovy lenses on the back that can measure your heart rate and other kind of bio information. So, to me, the only way that uh, that wearables make sense is that it becomes a new genre that's able to do things that the old device couldn't do. And, like, I I don't know what you meant by the Apple 1.0 curse, but I think what you mean is that it's, there's utilitarian parts of it now that are going to be reduced in size and disappear eventually is that what you mean
2: well i i mean there's just the the thing that people say that you should never buy the first version of an apple product because it's usually really shitty uh. like the first version of uh, OS X was apparently really bad and the first mm-hmm. ipod apparently really sucked mm-hmm. um and the first iPhone apparently sucks. So.
1: Yeah, I mean, I get that. I think that um, in terms of the silhouette of it and stuff, it's definitely going to get thinner a year from now. Version 2 is going to have a smaller battery that will last way longer and all of that nonsense. Um, but yeah, I think what what's cool about it is that um, there's all sorts of apps and things that are going to uh, be invented now just because they have access to that data. And yeah, there's true. been... Um, there's a new kind of like emerging problem with the sensitivity of how easy it is to crack passwords. And one of the ideas that Google had was that you could put a really complicated RFID um, signal in like a a wedding ring, for instance, so that when you're typing on your device, it connects with, with that object and is able to do like a double security layer. Mm. I think that that's probably one of the ideas that they have too, is that if you had, um, the ability to to transmit um, security data from your watch, it'd
2: be easier to, like, secure your
1: computer and stuff yeah, and verify yeah. that the users were...
2: Like, they're moving to that payments. I, all weekend, I've been in... Or all... For the last two weeks, I've been in Canada and I haven't taken out any cash. I just tap that... Keep tapping that Visa card on the... You don't have to put your pin in anymore. mm mm-hmm. um, But, yeah, that they're going that way. uh, Towards, you know, mobile payments and... and things like that so you don't have to carry your wallet around that thing ripped me off the first i
1: i uh, I got suckered in by the magic of it just like waving it across and then at the end of the month i got a bill for all of the transactions that i normally don't do on Mm. my checking account like i i forgot that um the way i have it set up is like if you keep a thousand dollars in your account then there's no fees but i don't have that on my checking account because i never use it and they hooked up that magic swipe thing to my checking account, and they charged me like $25 for just swiping the card through the air. Convenient
2: fee. Retarded. Yeah. TD's good otherwise, though. I, I mean, the, the guy was ta- reading, some guy was reading once, it's like, what do you do when, you know, you stay over at someone's house on impromptu, and your battery's dead the next day?
0: Mm.
2: You're not going to buy a bubble to buy anything? or I guess not. I mean...
1: I, I think that the, the the transition to wearables is kind of like an intermediate step before like everything becomes cloud. And what I mean by that is like eventually the computers will be sm- so small that they're in everything. They're in your shirt. They're in your headphones. They're in this. They're in that. I'm, and, wait, I'm waiting for you know, like, like a data profile. brain
2: brain implant mm-hmm. and like f- full HUD overlay over you're walking around. And Google has that new app where you can. You can overlay the world and it will tell you you know this you know about this monument and people can leave comments on it and <laughs> it's the site of uh General
1: Simington's Great Battle in eighteen sixty five. It's also where John Lewis, uh twenty five, living at seventy two Parkside Avenue, lost his virginity. Sure. Like it'll have all sorts of regular cultural things associated that are on on par yeah. with all of the
2: yeah here i uh, was walking home drunk and i had to vomit <laughs> tagged yeah mm-hmm. you could correlate it with the online photos about it and do you ever have you been um following
1: thing that alan moore has been working on no he's got uh, this this book that was released i think last year called jerusalem and it ties into a lot of his ideas about a shared imaginary realm that crosses all cultural boundaries where like anything is kind of possible. And he makes the argument that his hometown of like Northampton is the center of the cultural universe for earth. And he does that kind of, um, that connections type of, of storytelling where he says like this person met this famous person on a corner in Northampton. And that led to the invention of the steam engine Mm. and electricity. Mm. Like he makes all these connections Uh, with the place. Um.
0: America uh, seems to have its origins in Northamptonshire. Uh, George Washington's grandparents lived at Barton-Solgrave. Benjamin Franklin's great-grandparents lived at Ecton. Both of these villages within Northamptonshire. Uh, In fact, the village crest of Barton-Solgrave is... Uh, bars and mullets, or stars and stripes, as we would refer to them now. And it would seem that, quite probably, the American flag is uh, an adaptation uh, of a simple, obscure Northampton village um,
1: cross. And I think that you're going to get more and more of that kind of storytelling, and uh, I think history is going to be appreciated from that kind of really specific personal level. You know, going forward, you know how Wikipedia, for instance, is like crowdsourced and you're getting a more nuanced um, version of the story because it's passed through more. It's not just the voice of one historian who has a bias. It's like multiple people who are editing through it. I think that it'll be really interesting 100 years from now to tell the story of a place like Ross's vale, Right. You'll get a much more detailed and nuanced um, version of that place and opinion of that place from something like Wikipedia after like 10,000 people have written about it.
2: Mm. Well, not only that, I mean, in some respects you have, I mean, if you have archives of, you know, what, what happened on this day, what, what Twitter posts were a hashtag Ronsonsvale on the day of the Polish festival mm-hmm. this year was happening mm-hmm. when, the I don't know, they were playing journey and the guy's guitar was ca- caught on fire. Or something. Mm-hmm.
1: It was crazy today to um, see all of the news reporting that was coming in from Twitter about Rob Ford dropping out of the election. Um, Because I was getting... uh, You were getting, like, the detailed um, explanations, the play-by-play of, like, Doug Ford's heading down to the the registration office. They've got the paperwork finished. They're going to file a half hour before the deadline. It's all coming through direct from Twitter. Meanwhile, the Globe and Mail... Is like
2: behind the story by about an hour and a half. Yeah, I'm going through that
1: fact-checking
2: exercise. The Globe and Mail people are just reading Twitter like you, but they're just spending time to write it up. Mm -hmm. To write it up for people who can't search on Twitter. Um, I'm I uh, I like Twitter. I like Twitter when you need to like do something like this, like find out what's going on. But even I'm more big on Reddit, and like even on Reddit, you'll see a story, and then two days later, it'll be republished in multiple different places. Because whoever at and now Forbes they, is just reading Reddit. Well, like now only two, it's like now Reddit users are the center of stories. So you'll get a story mm-hmm. in the Washington Post that's like, this user Reddit did the calculations on the GDP for the last 10 years and discovered this kind of anomaly or whatever some Reddit person did. Mm-hmm. And the story will be about a post on Reddit. Mm-hmm is it is china
1: do you find china is as wired as canada are they having that same kind of group
2: think by uh, all reading the same websites and stuff they have their own kind of little internet ecosystem i mean not least of which because of the language it's a you know a lot bigger jump mm-hmm. to go from uh, latin-based language to chinese or vice versa uh they also have like a really big protectionism in the internet space so 50% of the reason Facebook and, and Google are blocked is because of security reasons. Like they, they want to be able, if there's like an orange revolution in China, they want to be able to have the keys behind the scenes to shut shut Twitter down if, if they're using it for organizing. But the second is I think that they're protecting their domestic companies. Mm. So Baidu, which is like the Chinese version of, of Google, you know, has the same UI and it works the same and they have all the same stuff, except that it's for Chinese people. And Weibo is kind of like in between a blog and Twitter because you can fit, you know, more characters in a post and you can say more. Um, but just in the last little while, the government has kind of reaffirmed uh, their right to control social media space. So uh, they did a big crackdown on Weibo, and as soon as you post something, you know, they will pull it down. And so they have occasionally you have streams of people. There's actually a website you can visit that's called. Freebo or Free we- Weibo, and it, it shows you what has been removed by the censors. Mm. So on Tiananmen Square Day, uh, Tiananmen Square is uh, 6 June, June 4th. Mm-hmm. So 6 slash 4, any combination of 6-4, the words 6-4 in Chinese, and Chinese has a lot of homophones. So any like the words for, for 6-4 that's, that are written with other characters and all this other stuff they'll they'll take down also too they'll do things like if they're busting someone for corruption they'll still censor um non-news stories of the guy and the corruption because they want their particular version of events mm-hmm. to be put out hmm. yeah. i don't I, know how they
1: keep isn't there a punk movement that where the
2: slang is evolving so fast that they can't keep up with it there is i mean um uh there's uh they talk about in, in Chinese politics and Chinese philosophy from the beginning, but they've been stressing a lot this idea of the harmonious society. Mm-hmm. Um, they they really believe that the communist... I mean, if you take them at their word, the communist party believes they're democratic in the sense of that it's their job to balance all the forces in society to make it fair for everyone. Right. Um, so you'll they had a secret memo that kind of leaked onto the internet where they're talking about Western style multi-party democracy is really scheme for the business class to take over aristocracy
1: yeah empowers an aristocracy um
2: so they they have this concept of the harmonious society anyway uh a homophone for harmonious society is river river crab so you know they'll have jokes they'll say your post has been river crabbed like, <laughs> made harmonious um and i way did an art thing where he had a bunch of river crabs and he had a big crab smash and made <laughs> all these river crabs there. also like the words uh fuck your mother Mm-hmm. sound like grass mud horse the word the word like a llama is called a grass mud horse mm-hmm. so there's you know a llama is like a big meme cuz it'll be it means like fuck your mother <laughs> which it which is also gets censored a lot right? so does that mean that there
1: could be people who face really strong um a hammering from the government just because they happen to use like the wrong slang like they were actually just talking about grass like llamas (laughs) grass fucking llamas and fucking your mother and stuff and the government thought that they were talking about Tiananmen Square and
2: (laughs) I mean the government is given like the fears I think people have of this totalitarianism the government was surprisingly lenient um I mean you can post a post about something and they'll just take it down it's only like if you're like a democracy activist Mm -hmm. that they're really gonna put you in jail or put you under house arrest or whatever Mm -hmm. um but even in their day-to-day life, just um, the amount of things that just don't have social rules, like, you know, drinking in the street. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, not that they go around walking around the street drunk. They're actually quite a sober people, I would say. But, you know, just having a beer, you know, on in, in the street because it's hot and you feel like drinking a beer, like, it's not really a thing they think of. Yeah, isn't that kind of limited to just America and Canada? I definitely think it's like the Protestant protestant kind of ethic mm-hmm. countries get that especially canada gets that a lot like we're really backwards on alcohol yeah i like that you mentioned protestant ethic because it's it's
1: like kind of rooted in a a sense that you should be working and going to bed at at 9 30 yeah. you're having a bit too much fun you're being one of those
2: Relaxed Europeans, yeah, who want to have like wine in the The, la- park. the lazy what, Euro- what Europeans, the fuck. We're the northern Europeans, it's cold up here. We have to be what industrious. You should be chopping logs, yeah. it's gonna
1: be cold soon. We got that September chill in the air, but yeah, I, I'm i really disappointed that you know, I thought if Rob Ford was gonna be good for one fucking thing, it would be that he could cut the red tape for food trucks. And let people drink in parks. I think <laughs> those are perfect issues for that man.
2: Now he's gone. God damn it! Everyone was saying that it's like a cover because he knew he's not going to win. So now he never lost, really, right? Oh, yeah, totally. 100%. Now he's undefeated. He, he just had about like, you know of medical.
1: Experience. I would have came back, but October surprise. What can I say? So, um,
2: yeah, and you know, just again back to China, just little things like. Uh, traffic traffic rules are more like suggestions than rules. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you've seen any kind of second second world country like India or China or New York City or yeah, New York City. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Beijing's not the worst. But yeah, other other. I was reading this book, uh, "Country Driving," and it was just this, these three chapters from a journalist about different different experiences of him driving in China. And he has to go to driver's lessons, and you know. The instructor is telling his, inst- his students, you know, to make sure you start the car in like second gear, and you know, you can't look backwards when you're making or, or backing up because that's against the rules. You just have to use your mirrors, and people don't change look when they change lanes. It's it's more of a concept of you're responsible mm-hmm. for things in your line of sight, and anything behind you, the well, that's someone else's problem. You know, let them, mm-hmm. and then they do the same thing to you. The people behind you, watch out. Uh, but there is that was that it was a dutch city who who got rid of all of their traffic lights and traffic signs it's kind of like that like i ride my bike and i take a lot of chances now that i'm kind of getting accustomed even just now i was crossing king street and i totally crossed against the light in the middle weaving in the middle of traffic just because i'm so used to it um but i feel like it's a lot safer because everyone's constantly watching out for each other yeah and getting off the street is more of a negotiation It's it's not like chicken but it's more like who's gonna not go first mm-hmm. and if you got a little i don't know wolf wolf dog in you you can stare down like a taxi and he won't go hopefully yeah and i don't know why they would design it any
1: other way i mean like that's that's my association with the law i always feel like it's a, it's a suggestion and that's what kind of like threw me for a loop when stephen harper does wacky things like make mandatory minimum sentences for things it's like why do you even have a judge if, if you're just gonna make it automatic that you do this you go to jail it's like i i want to have a negotiation where i get in front of a judge and go like now listen i know technically marijuana is illegal but are you aware that no one is following that law i feel like if you put me in jail it's like selective prosecution you know what i mean and it sh- isn't that kind of fucked up doesn't that like not make sense i like,
2: i have a feeling that kind of criminal criminal laws are on the books in a sense of you know they're only to be used if you're causing a ruckus to society sure right like you can do a lot of things that are technically illegal but you know the the police only need to implement the laws when you start you know hurting people or and what a great go to jail
1: free card if if you have something like marijuana where you're targeting a house that you, you want to get these troublemakers off the streets Chances that they have a little bit of weed in their house, probably pretty high. So let's just knock down the door and see what we find in there.
2: Yeah. Or or that Xanta guy, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if I decide to take my shirt off and do push-ups one time on the subway, (laughs) I'm probably probably not going to get in trouble. Did they nail Zanta? Zanta and Bindbar? He's he's, he's banned from coming downtown. What? How can you ban somebody from a town? They did. Because he would get... His favorite thing, we would go in uh, breakfast television and city TV, Mm -hmm. and they would fill on the street and stuff, and he'd... Yes, 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 yes. Flex his muscles. Flexes yeah, flex his muscles. And...
1: That guy was an inspiration to the whole city. He's, he's a fitness maniac. And so, like, he got, eventually got arrested for making a ruckus, and then they
2: said, you can't come downtown anymore? He's, like, banned off their certain street or something. I don't know.
1: So he's in the burbs doing the same thing?
2: Yeah, and, and the story, there's like, there was, like, a short documentary about Xanta. And uh, the story is he fell off. He was, like, doing construction, and he fell off some scaffolding. So he... Something came loose up there.
1: That's like a superhero origin.
2: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the Santa hat came because he was getting sued because he went a little nuts. And he was getting sued for custody. And he went into one of the hearings around Christmas time wearing this hat. And his daughter got really excited. So he refused to take the Santa hat off. Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah. To, so to like, But then now he's on you know, I don't know, whatever, anti-something. I don't know what his condition is. Someone, some kind of drug that mellows him out, but now he's, like, he's not ripped anymore. Oh, he's my like God. and he lives with a girlfriend or something. The Scientologists
1: should pick up that story and, and show the dangers of, like, psychiatric medicine. It's like this man used to be a, a beautiful snowflake. He was a, a Greek god. <laughs> he was carved out of stone, and he was trying to inspire everybody else to do push-ups. And abandon their conventions well and, how you're supposed and, to live. and
2: i mean they let the the guy at i don't know dundas square dress like batman and walk around mm-hmm. but he's not molesting people with his Wait, is santa molesting people because yeah I, did he, I don't think he touched anyone no so Pff, bunch of squares it reminds
1: me did you ever read that jack kerouac story um what's the one
2: where he's working as a fire lookout I know that one. I think that that was the Dharma Bums. Dharma Bums. Then he bum around with all those poets, and then Mm -hmm. he he escapes and goes to the forest.
1: He escapes and goes to the forest, and then in one section, he's he just decides to he's in between towns, and he decides to just like sleep out under the stars because it's warm enough, and he's in the southwest, and uh, the patrolmen like see him sleeping out in the dirt, and they stop the car and they rough him up, and they put him in the back of the car, and he's he's shocked. He's like you know what's the problem i'm not bothering anybody and they're just like different era you're not allowed to sleep outside anymore like it's not the 60s and uh he kind of like had it as a metaphor for um just the like the encroachment of like slightly fascist forces like there is a side of capitalism where it's like they're subtly putting pressure on people to to get with the program and be normal and not flunk out
2: yeah so yeah that's like and so to contrast that you know you ask people how do you go camping and because me and yan like to go camping Mm -hmm. and how do you go camping in china well you pick a piece of land and you set up your tent like there's no parks there's no place where you can go and pay your 14 dollars and get a campsite or access to a park Mm -hmm. um they are like they but then they have their like tourist attractions like their mountains and stuff you got to pay, like, I mean, it's cheap for us, but, you know, 200 RMB to get in. And on top of the mountain, they had a whole little town with, like, convenience stores and restaurants and stuff. And Could you
1: start, Did you see any encroachment? Like, was there a McDonald's up there and a gap?
2: Uh, I don't think there was a McDonald's, but it wasn't, like, rustic. It was all mm-hmm. done up. It was just this one mountain, Lushan. Um, but I think this was, the, like, the mountain that the communists loved to go to to have their summertime meetings we went to the mountain where they filmed avatar and it was called and it's just a shit show shit show full of chinese people and koreans mm-hmm. and it was just packed and they got like a tourists that wanted so to so many the tourists set? yeah and you know they it's it's you know it's got railings and and walkways but you know girls are still in their like high heels <laughs> and guys are wearing dress dress shoes and um, and you get to the place where there's like a scene from Avatar. You can clearly see it, mm-hmm. and they have like a big Avatar statue there. <laughs> but there's a guy who's charging five dollars to get your picture taken with it. Was there any? Was there any cosplay? So characters many people. Well, I don't know. There's no cosplay. People painted blue. That that so can. many people want to get up and pay to get money with this picture. They did the same thing for Middle
1: Earth and, uh, in New Zealand. I think that the entire New Zealand economy like orbits around those movies now. Hmm. You have fucking smog on the airplanes and giant golem in the
2: airport. And, you know. Anyway, so this guy took us to this area. There was that area and then another area right beside it. And he showed us pictures of when he first went to go. And you would just like, you know, take a boat and go whitewater rafting. There's no, hmm. you know, you can kill yourself, I guess. I guess that's the trade off. You can kill yourself here too. The government doesn't want you to fall off the hill, but there was no one to stop you. So in a lot of places, like you can get your tent, I walk a little bit on the great wall and camp on the great wall. There's no Mm -hmm. guards or walls or gate to get money or Mm -hmm. it's
1: a, it's a really funny thing in North America. We're so uptight that there's a lot of self-censorship. Like anytime there's any kind of deviant behavior here, we assume that there's a law against something, even though it's completely emergent. Like they had this uh, viral video that came out, um, around the 4th of July where somebody took a drone helicopter and flew it through yeah, the fireworks and it had this crazy footage of the the, the explosions and stuff in front of the, the camera. And there was an immediate like pushback from Forbes magazine where they asked a lawyer, they're like put together an argument of, of why this is illegal under current law. Like there is no laws based on drones. They just kind of vetted five years ago, but immediately the knee jerk is like, because it's deviant behavior, it's because it's emergent and it, it, it's uncommon people assume that it's probably illegal until the government says that you're allowed to do it. You know, it's completely backwards. I mean,
2: if you did put a, a, a drone up in the air and then the FBI came to your house the next morning, you knew exactly what they were coming for. There wouldn't even be a question. Because, you know, you know, their argument. their argument is that, you know, one terrorist group with a drone and a GoPro...
1: But I feel like that's that's your North American brainwashing maybe, talking. Maybe
2: I mean Chinese have fears too. Like you know they it, there was uh, I said talked about when we met this earlier, like in the one town where they had like the their their version of Islamic, quote unquote terrorists. Mm-hmm. You know there's maps on like watch out for people with big beards and wearing burqas and hijabs and all this stuff like because they might attack China. Yeah, they might. They might. Well, they want to. They would, There was like a a thing where they drew a truck drew a truck into. Tiananmen Square and tried to blow it up and they're like Turkish they're called Uyghurs mm. Turkish Turkish because they have their own you know um Chinese version of Muslims right they're, they're the Hui, Hui Min, but then they have the you know the more Turkish Western Muslims like Hui Min look just they look at Chinese people but they don't eat they don't eat pork and some of them wear like maybe a hat or a headscarf but Wild, the
1: like the Jews of 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 the Asian they're world. just
2: like the first Silk Road travelers came and and spread their religion and their genes. But the people in in Xinjiang or like Uyghur, I don't know if you call it Uyghurstan, they want to make like Turkistan or whatever. Mm-hmm. They are just like a uh, an area that China conquered in the Qing Dynasty, mm-hmm. along with Tibet. Like I was reading about the Tang Dynasty today, and there was actually the Tibetan Empire and the Chinese Empire had to actually battle it out to see who would be bigger and they decided, mm-hmm. you know, where the borders are going to be. Yeah. Um but the Chinese argument is basically whatever we owned at the end of the Qing dynasty is ours, right? Forever. So, you know, Taiwan, which is basically runs as its own country, if they declare independence, China's like we're going to bomb you. Bombs. Like we have we'll use military action. Hmm. And they wouldn't be worried about disruption of
1: any of the business interests and stuff in that area or, well i, like, I mean there,
2: like a lot of the chinese i guess you could say political psyche comes from like being really humiliated and being like semi semi-colonial mm-hmm. in the 19th century so they're really the the government uses nationalism really strong especially against japan for obvious reasons mm-hmm. um they fight over these little islands in chinese called the diaoyu daos which means fishing islands I don't know what the Japanese name is, but there's a really funny like one of the first sentences I learned in Chinese, which is uh Diao Yu Dao Dao." Diao Yu Dao is Chinese. Um and and you go to like uh we have this favorite no we to call a favorite. We go there often to get drunk and eat like lamb skewers and it's called the Diao Yu Dao lamb skewer house. And uh I, you know, we told them that my first sentence I learned in Chinese was Diao, you your And they gave us all these <laughs> <laughs> good job, and they gave us all these free shrimp and stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was uh, having this explained to me by Todd because, you know, there's always um, subtle propaganda from like Fox News and stuff where they're paranoid that China's going to try to take over the world and go to war with the United States. And <clears throat> the way he, it, Todd's perception of it was um that the Chinese really don't think about that kind of stuff. Like Asia has its own theater and they have their own rivalries and their own interests. And just like we wouldn't consciously think about, you know, China versus the Uyghur population or their Muslim equivalents or or any of that. They don't think too much about what's going on in Canada and what's going on in the United States and whether we build a pipeline or not and whether we Quebec separates or whatever. It's just not on the radar.
2: I, I don't. I wouldn't say that China has any, um, any desire to to form like a political empire. Um, they definitely see themselves as like a regional or global, a soon to be global power. Um, but I mean, they've there have been numerous times in history when they have been the global power. They just, you know, fell behind on that whole gunpowder and machine gun kind of industrial revolution kind of thing mm-hmm. um around the same time china and japan you know japan there's lots of movies about the Meiji restoration that one with tom cruise where he's the white guy's the last samurai <laughs> <laughs> um that that's in the Meiji restoration period where they start industrializing and china had like a short movement but then the empress at the time was like okay shut this down we're not going that way mm-hmm. so since then um you know regularly especially by the british they've been kind of there was a time when, you know, if you were a foreigner in China, you know, you were governed by the laws of your own country. And in mm-hmm. Beijing, there was the legation quarters where all the... And in in uh, Shanghai, they had their own area where the just the foreigners live. And So they have lots of humiliation from foreign powers. So they really... So now a lot of it is coming back. Like, you know, Microsoft and Apple are getting shit on a lot. And it's mostly because they want you know, their own versions to kind of develop and get big. And and, and then also, too, back to this, uh, the idea that the communists think that they're um, democratic in a sense, like their major industries are run by government-owned enterprises. So they're enterprises where the majority of the stock is owned by the Communist Party or whatever, or the state. Which is equivalent to us having like Petro-Canada or whatever, like nationalized because in in there for them it's like you know it's in their strategic interest to not have major industries owned by foreign foreign companies that's just brings back all the bad memories of you know previous kind of semi-colonialism mm-hmm. you know but you'd have like white people who just like fuck off to the to the western country and start preaching christianity and <laughs> stirring up trouble like it's there really like i have to register apply for a visa, which takes weeks and weeks. And then I have to get there. And every time we leave the country, we have to come back and tell the police where we're staying. Mm. So we got to go to the police station the next day and sign our names. And they're really, they're really good about it. Like, unless you're going to cause them a hassle, like, you know, the woman's seen it a million times at the police station. She don't care. Yeah. And it helps that your girlfriend speaks the language and stuff. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's, it's, again, it's kind of like they, the laws are there to keep out the undesirables. Yeah. And, you know, even though I'm probably breaking a lot of laws, like the way I make money right now, it's like, I'm not a, like when we first got there, um, in the kind of foreigner area also where like a lot of the Western influenced Chinese and rich people kind of hang out. It's called Sanly Tune and, uh, used to be dominated by like African dudes selling, what do you need? <laughs> What's up? want some, want some fun? <laughs> but then maybe six months after we got there, they, they did a huge crackdown and they're all gone now. Where did they go? I don't know. No, or jail, I guess. They have special jails just for foreigners. They went to the fishing islands. Yeah. <laughs> they are them to sea. Yeah, and yeah, and that's another thing, like, because of the opium wars, they're really cracking down on drugs. Mm. They were piss-testing foreigners in bars for, like, uh, MDMA or whatever.
1: Does it break down, like, uh, Gene Hackman and fucking French Connection, where they just kick down the door and they throw everybody <laughs> against the wall and start Basically, turning out your pockets and stuff? Like,
2: Yan was that some networking night like a designer you know cool hipsters getting together and handing out business cards and the police come in and they ask all of the asian looking people for their ids but they don't ask any foreigners because they don't care about, interesting yeah, about what foreign again
1: are. that's another in for you you yeah. have kind of a superpower
2: diplomatic I, immunity I it, it used to be even better back in the day like you could smoke weed if you were a foreigner but if you're local like they really care so yeah anyway, Yan didn't have her passport she's freaking out because they think she's chinese
1: but i worked out in the end
2: and she can't she
1: prove it by like a literacy test like yeah. listen <laughs> i'm gonna tell you all sorts of hip-hop lyrics and you're gonna give me a temporary visa yeah i i don't know um I feel like I wouldn't be able to survive that kind of environment. I have like a shit disturber streak. That's been born into me where every aspect of authority bugs me. I remember on my grade two report card, I was reading it. I found it in a drawer somewhere and it's like, Jesse does not follow rules. Jesse does not respect authority. (laughs) I bring it up during like a, you you get a job assessment or whatever. It's like, you know, sometimes you don't know your place. it's been a pro there's something genetically wrong got the american streak. i
2: mean i mean it's hard if you think even if you consider yourself average right yeah. in the middle that means 50 percent of the people you meet are dumber than you <laughs> so it's hard, it's hard to keep your mouth shut when that one of those 50 percent is your boss
1: yeah i i feel like i don't really believe in stupid people i kind of advocate I believe stupid people that's what everybody tells me whenever i bring this up but you know try to make an audit you know, where you write down on a list, and then the people you've identified as stupid, spend a little bit more time with them and see mm-hmm. what's going on with them because a lot of times it's you're you're perceiving stupidity in a place where there's ignorance, like it might be that the person is incompetent at their job because they're mentally deficient. It might be that they just don't give a fuck, and that secretly they're a closet musician or they have some other passion that they're not bringing to work, and you're seeing like
2: the bored un- disconnected uh, side of that person it's you know true I mean? but I, I mean i guess in your previous story the point was that you tried to enlighten these particular people and they didn't take too well to that
1: yeah but what i was maybe gonna you say you just it,
2: don't understand maybe you're just a little ignorant <laughs> on this subject
1: <laughs> well what i was gonna say is that uh I, I feel like you know that that funny donnie darko joke about how like there's only fear and and love on the, the spectrum of emotion. I feel like there's not really so much a stupidity problem with people. There's definitely a problem there's definitely like a, a fear response difference in people that separates them into different categories. I feel like a person's insecurity and uncomfortableness with change can lead them to becoming a limited person as an adult. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like how in a little kid they don't really start to grow until like they embrace that they got to fail and be bad at stuff for a long time and be comfortable trying over and over until they get competent. I feel like developmentally adults can kind of get stuck in a, in a, in a box where they let their insecurities completely dominate. And then that can be confused for stupidity, but I don't really believe that they were born limited
2: this uh I don't know if he was a sociologist, but there's this guy who wrote like a sociologist type book um that was a little tongue in cheek. It's like a little funny. It's called the Peter Principle mm-hmm. and uh, it basically states that especially in a bureaucracy, people tend to rise to their natural level of incompetence. Mm -hmm. right because every time you get a promotion you get a promotion because you do you know you do good at your job and then all of a sudden you get to a level where you're not so good anymore Mm -hmm. but like they don't fire you you're just competent Mm -hmm. but you can't get any more raises because you're not competent enough to go up and i think bureaucracy has that problem a lot like you just catch a lot of people and you know they're 45 and this is their station in life
1: well i mean what's hilarious like tom peters talks about the same thing and the funny thing about that principle is that you're promoting people away from their talent you know what I mean, and that's kind of fucked up. And the only reason it exists is because we have this idea that organizations should have hierarchy. But in my from my point of view, there doesn't need to be hierarchy. Like you can have pay equity across the board, and you can say like this person's in a leadership position because they're good at motivating people, and there is no reason why the person who's good at motivating people needs to be paid outlandishly more than everybody else. It's just where their talent lies, mm. and it's no more important than like somebody who's incredibly good at um, being focused and keeping the floors clean and like all of that kind of that, that talent set or the person who's um, really cheery and good at, at keeping a level head through stress. Like you need different people have different talents in different areas. And uh, there's no reason why certain sides should be more rewarded than others.
2: I, I I think um, with my girlfriend and a lot of my friends working in the creative field. Like there's I th- also like two like entrepreneurs, like you meet a lot of entrepreneurs that are like, I have a perfect product. Like this is the greatest idea ever. But mm-hmm. you ask them about what's, what's anything about business planning? Like what's your market? What's your target market? And what, how does your product solve a burning need in, in this person's life? And they, can, yeah. they didn't even thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of create, really creative people who could use like a little backend organization.
1: Oh, totally. To yeah. 100%. It's all team building. And that's, you know, Frank geary has got a great quote where he's like, um, he's like, eventually at some point in your career, you realize that the world doesn't revolve around your ass and you either play by team or you get eliminated. And, you know, that's, that's stuck with me because everything is a team building exercise. You can't get, you can't get anything important done without an organization like whether even if it's like a direct thing where you're a person making songs for your fans there's still a relationship there that has to be respected and nurtured
2: um i just i just look at Yann's office they do uh, you know like the standard creative agency like branding and websites and packaging and stuff mm-hmm. and all of the all the designers i guess are good i mean you know they're not winning awards or anything but they're all solid but you can't put any of them in front of a client no I mean none of them could talk in any in either language to save to save themselves, you know. So they but they have trouble keeping, you know, account managers cuz they get all the shit having to deal with all that stuff.
1: I don't think that that's a lack of talent though. I I mean, I think that those people would become charismatic and better at working with clients if they did it more often. Yeah. There's yeah, a and- there's a weird kind of like shyness in in a lot of people where it's the last thing to get broken down. It's like people don't want to be involved in sales, they don't want to do public speaking um because of this instinct to like hide. They don't want to have that kind of scrutiny. It's really deep in the, the brain chemistry that they don't want to be on that platform.
2: Yeah, and I guess that goes again back to the bureaucracy thing. You know, you get to a certain level and you don't need you know, I maybe I could get ten thousand more dollars, but that would require you know x amount of more challenge and maybe i'm i can't handle that challenge so i'm happy to just Mm -hmm. coast along and get my pension in 10 years and when
1: you're self-involved and you're just running that through your brain it sounds totally rational it's like yeah i could be making more money but then i'd have to like make a phone call oh god i don't want to have to ask i'd rather just i'm happy here it's not worth the money and then you'll write it down on paper you go like wait a minute you're you're comfortable making half the amount of money that you could be because you don't want to give a speech, you don't want to like talk to somebody on the phone. That's completely crazy. Yeah. You know. It, it's it's something that's empowered by like keeping it to yourself. Like as soon as you start like speaking about it out loud to like your friends and family and stuff, they go like you're being nuts. Just do it. Just get up there and and do a, a moth story, you know. Don't even think about it. It's it'll go away. Like that that fear response will be with you for the first like 35 seconds and then you'll start to relax as your body realizes that you're you're going through with this you know I think that um, it's always the same arc like whenever you're apprehensive about doing anything that um, those butterflies will go away if you just stay the course long enough
2: I mean and usually when you're apprehensive about something that's probably the right right thing to do Mm mm-hmm because, um, you
1: know, there's a lot of losers that are going to flunk out when that feeling starts coming. So you're like, I'm on the valuable path.
2: Well, and I mean, that's like that war of art book where mm-hmm. the thing that, you know, scares you the most is just use your resistance and holding you back from taking that step.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: so. so When it comes to um,
1: culture, like I've heard some people say that there's no way that China can eclipse american entrepreneurialism because they have a culture that's been developing for like 50 years education and economy that's based on like copying and so they never will be able to innovate in the same way that americans do because they're just too used to following instructions do you get that vibe at all uh, do you I, have you ran into I, like I, some
2: super creative people there are, but you, you know, they'll, you'll find out they're from Hong Kong or Taiwan mm. or they're raised in the West. I mean, I hate kind of making kind of blanket judgments about society because, yeah. first of all, I'm not really an expert. And second of all, you know, they're individuals. But to make a blanket judgment, yeah, their education is, you know, this is kind of like some kind of media, Marshall McLuhan kind of argument. But, mm-hmm. you know, you have to memorize the characters. Right. You have to, so you can't sound out. There's no such thing as sounding out a word. Someone has to tell you what this word is until you know what the characters mean does that mean there's no neologisms like can you invent your own oh oh, yeah yeah, sure sure like language evolves and gets invented all the time but the writing of it Mm -hmm. you can't write a word in in syllables you have to know what the character sounds like if you've never seen a character before you can't say it right so there's a lot of memorizing takes a lot um they've done studies where children you know take an extra two or three years to learn how to read in china um, and then from there, I feel i like, they make their kids go to school six days a week, the middle class and up kind of families then make their kids study after school and on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all kind of geared toward like a single test where you kind of spew out all your knowledge. So in a sense, yeah, it's, it's a, there's like a real strong culture of copying as a, as a form of learning. Like, um, you know, you talk to people, they don't really write like personal essays or, yeah. or, or, or in the university really write strong essays with their own point of view kind of thing um and also too like me and yan uh, there was this guy who wanted to do business with us uh with yan and and was just you know showing us around and making contacts we went to like a design studio that did more video games and it was just the same world of warcraft orcs and chicks with big tits (laughs) (laughs) kind of rip off but all the games are like that. I thought that. the Chinese
1: liked legs. Shouldn't
2: they all be yeah? Well, long-legged L- characters, long legs and big tits, and <laughs> you know, elves, elves with huge, huge tits that are coming out. And but the, all you know, you watch TV and, and or you're watching like the local version of YouTube, and there's ads before the video, and all the ads are from stupid fucking Warcraft games, and and so in mean, in a sense, there's like a lack of originality mm-hmm. in that sense. I mean, whether that will be there forever, I don't know. I can't judge that, but.
1: We had a, when I used to work in the shoe design industry, we had a communication problem with China when we would send blueprints to them for anything that was a new idea. They had no idea how to process it. Like, you'd send very detailed drawings to the factory and you would receive this, like, multicolored cloth potato in the mail. And you would look at it and you go, you're, you're passing it around the office, just like, laughing hilariously it's like how could they think that this was right you know (laughs) they're trying to make sense of these these american or these canadian instructions and they're very doggedly trying to to follow the recipe and even though it's going horribly wrong they can't stop they just think that there, there must be something wrong with the code but you send them any like finished product like you grab a shoe from the store and you send it to, and they'll copy it exactly because they just reverse engineer it. You just take apart all the seams, you lay it down flat, you trace it around on another piece of leather, you um, do injection molds on the 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 uh, the, the base, the the the, um, the sole of it, and off you go. But it's, anytime it's like you're breaking from the script and you're putting down the the matrix code, the ones and zeros
2: instead of the actual product, it doesn't it doesn't translate. Uh, to 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 have a product idea and, and to get it put out it's re- really easy especially if you're there you can go visit the factories mm-hmm. and I took like a class online with some dude and he set you up with all these contacts of people that'll help you with the product design if you're just like I have this idea mm-hmm. can you make you know, how much to make it into a product and there'll be you know 10,000 and yeah. you get the original molds or whatever whatever it is that you're doing all done in China
1: did you listen to the Steve Jobs audio
2: book? i i think i read the book the
1: jacobson thing yeah do, do you remember the um the section where they're crafting the ipod and it's basically they just go to the chinese factories and they get a bunch of parts and they're like we can combine this together in like a piece an aluminum box and then that's our mp3 player And meanwhile, there's other companies that are thinking of taking the same components and combining it in the same way, but they don't know if there's a market for it yet. And that's really the only um, bravery involved in it, like an intuition is is like, how do we know that this is the right time to spend money and and tell them to build it for us? Um, I think it must be kind of cool to be right in the, the center of that place to to be able to go around to places like Foxconn and stuff and see like, Oh, they've invented this new chip and it's um, good for powering led screens that are one inch wide. You know, what could you do with, with, with something like that? If it was only seven cents and you were the person in charge of saying, let's go this direction, let's make this thing. Here's a thousand dollars. I think that that'd be a weird kind of sci-fi wizard power to have. To be to have like even a small savings by canadian standards it goes so much further over
2: there no like
1: you could you could behave a little bit more like a like a tycoon
2: mm. yeah i i mean and a lot of it is like you know your computer now it is all the same parts Mm-hmm. by by just random manufacturer, so it all comes down to the design but that goes back to the whole creativity thing like we are exporting designs there mm-hmm. and they're you know figuring out following the instructions mm-hmm. so you know it's your ipod says designed in california mm-hmm. but it's not assembled it you know when you order or when you order a macbook online it comes from china to your house mm-hmm. they mail it from china so yeah designed in california assembled in you know guangzhou uh, that, that was
1: uh, Cook's just-in-time manufacturing. It yeah. was his big innovation is figuring out how to like make the product come right off the assembly belt and go directly to the store and into your hands within like a couple of, of days. Because Apple, for the longest time, was behind everybody else, mm-hmm. right? Where you had a really fancy-looking iMac or whatever, but the specs in it were nothing compared to the PC's. And now it's totally shifting where it's like the top of the line MacBooks or whatever are kind of the best um, laptop you can buy. You know, it's got the best specs and it's equivalent price. Like if you're going to get a PC with the same specs, it's kind of the same amount of money. So
2: I find like, you know, the build quality is better.
1: It's totally better. Like They're doing everything better. The, The idea is to like turn it into an appliance where it's the cheapest and the best. And then they'll own the market.
2: There there was a lot of talk when the iPhone 6 came out about how it's kind of behind the best that Samsung has to offer by, like, two years. Mm. Samsung's been really hitting... Everyone in, in China who's anyone has a Samsung.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Samsung is they've kind of treated it a bit more like... It's all plastic, right? So they can experiment a lot more like apple is still trying to build something like a luxury sports car out of each of of the things that they make but they don't belong they don't belong in a a position they'll never be in a position where like they're number one doing that because there's always going to be a larger market of people that just want the functionality and they want it to be cheaper
2: i i think too there's the whole south korean japanese chinese Mindset is like again you're always watching people watch TV on their phone Mm -hmm. constantly like that's how you spend the spend a subway ride is you Mm -hmm. like have all these TV shows downloaded on your phone so the whole the bigger brighter screen I think is a lot more important but I don't think a lot of people in North America watch television on the subway yeah but for you know so for us it's more like we want to put it in our pocket or whatever.
1: Yeah, I don't even know like I don't even know if there is a cultural center anymore to be able to to talk about that thing. I think it's all just going haywire. Like uh they can't really decide on what the ideal shape or size of these devices should be because there is no perfect cell phone. There's only perfect cell phones. Yeah. You know, there's a perfect size for Steve, but that's not going to work for Jesse or for Yeah. So at some point they... I, I think what you're seeing with the watches, that's the first, like, jump off point where they're like, we have to leave room for people to just do what they want. And w- I think that, like, it, it's it's increasingly becoming, like, not even a factor because, like, eventually the electronics will be so small that you can tack it on to any size LED screen. In fact, like, wasn't there a company that was thinking about going
2: completely modular? Yeah, so where, I think it was, like, a design student or something mm-hmm. that designed the modular computer so you'd slide your phone size device into a desktop or a laptop depending on what you want to work on mm-hmm. and it would just carry all your files and the processor or something
1: yeah you could just have it in like a little lego brick and if you wanted to update uh move to like a a 10 inch tablet instead of a seven you just slide out the the guts and you you pop it into the new thing um that makes a lot more sense i think that we're probably pretty close to that. They probably do that already, but we just don't see the electronic side of it and there's no user serviceable
2: area. I, I think a lot of the difficulty is that the devices are so so well designed and so small nowadays. Like people complain that you can't upgrade your... It's really difficult to service your Mac device, mm-hmm. your MacBook Pro, and it's almost impossible to service your iPad. But the thing is like less than an inch. It's half an inch thick, like... You're gonna get in there with your microscope and like I I everything. I've been really cheap over the last year because I've been making no money and I you know took my own iPhone apart mm-hmm. and I used to replace the hard drive on my iPods, but I could never you know take apart your iPad like there's nothing there to take apart it's yeah. like literally half an inch thick and for me that's that's
1: what I like
2: about the device is that I always
1: found that when I had a laptop it would work as long as it was clean. It was clean for about a year and a half, and then eventually you'd spill enough gunk on it that the hard drive slot would stop opening, and the keys would stick, and the the cheap PC screen would be dusty enough that you couldn't really get it clean, and then it would brick. Like, you'd just get tired of, of waiting for it to boot up and mm. overheating and stuff. And the nice thing about the iPad, I think it was version 3 or 4, they got it to a level of, like, thinness that it was... You can almost imagine it being, like, waterproof, right? Like, it's just a piece of glass and aluminum, so you're never going to have that problem with, like, dirt breaking it. It's just the software and Apple's, like, stupid updates that that break it now. Mm.
2: Yeah, so I don't understand people, I mean, who are are like, well, it's not like the old days. Mm -hmm. You should be able to be a hobbyist and solder your own motherboard if you want. Mm Mm-hmm. I, but uh, you can't have it both ways like you can't have a device that's the size of a watch
1: well I mean it's also people talking like they're fucking in blacksmith times right like if you want to be the hobbyist like those people all switched to computer coding like that's where you do all sorts of interesting stuff with these devices is you fuck around with the software not l- hardware like why would you want to do that
2: it's too ham-fisted yeah like the watch is you know a-, a thousand times more powerful than the computer that goes to the moon but we should be able to install our own open source Mm -hmm. chip in there Mm -hmm. because we could it shouldn't void our warranty or whatever
1: yeah but i mean that stuff is never really taken that seriously by the people who are in the know right yeah i mean every everybody who's worth their salt they you know you read some antiquated uh, law about copyright where they're saying like you know hbo is thinking about porting um, Game of Thrones the internet—it's like a big announcement on like the Toronto Star, and there's like people in their fifties at the office that are are getting like excited about how they might be able to watch Game of Thrones now, and they're really excited to check it out. You go like, "Are you fucking retarded? Well, <laughs> are you aware that like it's already available and it's free? Like my parents won't, it.
2: won't won't upgrade to Netflix. Netflix—they have a thousand channels, mm-hmm. and you sit there and you spin the dial, and there's like nothing." to yeah. fucking watch although i did watch the shining and one flew over a cuckoo's Nuts. with commercials with commercials though oh but that's the worst also commercials. sacrilege you forget how like how bad commercials are mm-hmm.
1: there's there's a firm rule that i have when i visit my parents house the tv goes off and i make it clear that i will leave if the tv doesn't go off it's
2: hard too and like we have you know my sister has this kid two kids now but the kid is five and the TV goes on, and like his head just turns. You can't. It you, happens you, with everybody. You, it happens you, with me. He pushes his head away, and it just goes back there. It's hard. They have like a a strange. They've they've cracked the code
1: for for being able to suck people's attention in. There's a lot of like talent that's gone into like engineering the shows and the editing style and the way the commercials work and the the
2: uh, pattern of flashes that the TV has that it immediately draws you if you watch the, the like the shittiest reality shows there's not a lot of content in each episode it's mm-hmm. more it's a lot of like preview of what's going to happen mm-hmm. a repeat of what we just showed you before the commercial mm-hmm. and then a little preview of what's going to happen next then the event then mm-hmm. a recap of what the event was mm-hmm. and and they managed to fit like five minutes of and that's content. why it's so cheap because
1: yeah. there's only like five minutes of content you really need for the reality show but god damn it. I mean like I feel sorry for uh I, you know I it it bugs me as much as like alcoholism or something. Like I see my parents in the suburbs like getting sucked into that thing and I'm like dudes you see me once every 4 months. I'm your kid. I'm a really interesting person. I do nutty things in Toronto and stuff. So you're not interested to hear about any of it? I'm like, oh. And then the other crazy thing I was talking to Cameron about this same thing earlier today. Uh, his dad was over he turned on the television at cameron's house that he was visiting (laughs) and cameron came out of the washroom and he asked his dad what are you watching and he was like i don't know you know like they get that weird drug addict thing where they're not even enjoying it it's just a a a physical response now where
2: like by habit they're doing something and also to you, you uh when you got it on you get that feeling where you like you can't turn it off because somewhere there might be something good on mm-hmm. so you spin like a thousand channels half of them are in French mm-hmm. or like MSN sports pack TSN sports pack you don't even get them yeah and you get to the thousand and one and then you're like okay
1: something could have appeared and you also get hit with that like uh, curse of infinite choice type of thing right where everything that's on is not as good as what else could be on yeah. in one of those 250 channels. Oh, God, it creeps me out. But I guess you could do the same thing on the internet. There's probably people who are addicted to surfing, and they don't spend any time... Oh, I'm sure there's
2: times when I should be working, and I'm just bouncing around. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I guess I'm learning, you know, I'm generally trying to learn something about the world at the same time.
1: But I also feel like there's something about all the content on the internet that's superior. Like, even when you're watching dumb YouTube clips about, like, people falling off a diving board, there's no... um, there's no ulterior motive for the person posting that clip apart from that they thought it was funny and they think other people will think it's funny. Like, the, the thing about aver- that television that people have forgotten is like, it never was about the content, it was always about the ads. It's a machine that is designed to make you watch advertisements, and everything else, all of the programs, all of the news, is just window dressing to sucker you into watching the ads. And I feel like the reason that the internet can never be turned into cable television is it was never designed that, from that point of view, right? Like, it's a connection medium like the telephone. And just as you would never be able to sustainably add interruption advertising to your phone calls or your text messages, any a- attempt
2: to, like, add advertising and stuff to the internet is going to be programmed around. I, I don't necessarily think that the ads are so much a problem as the fact that if you can have ads fine, but if your content is shitty, no one's going to spend more than two seconds looking at your content. Like, you mm-hmm. know, ads in what you're describing worked on television when there was three channels or five channels or 10 channels. Mm-hmm. Cause if you didn't, you know, the show wasn't that good. Where else are you going to go? Right. Um, so, you know, if you have crappy content, like a bad video, no one's going to watch it regardless of whether you have ads or not. And I think if you have something that's good, people will sit through an ad, you know. If they suddenly... I've a, become quite a, militant on this issue, Stephen. A, like, <laughs> like, even if
1: it's something that I really want to see, if there's a fucking front-roll advertisement, I turn it off at a principle... Oh, I have that you know, ad block now, too. You. So, you know,
2: I use I use someone else's computer and you see all the actual ads mm-hmm. that you you get bombarded with on a daily basis. And you're like, I don't understand how anyone doesn't use ad block
1: and the thing that's but the thing that's crazy about it from the point of view of the people who are spending money to make the advertisements is like we spend so much goddamn time like watching advertisements voluntarily like how many people turned it into that fucking apple keynote address which is a two-hour advertisement for apple products it's like start making interesting products and uh talk about them in an interesting way if you had like an entire hot sauce channel that was that was talking about different shit that you could do with old el paso and like frank's red hot and stuff different experiments like the mentos you remember when people were putting fucking um what is it the mentos and And the coca-cola and blowing stuff up you could have a whole youtube network that's just around things
2: like that that you can do with coca-cola or that's uh the principle of content marketing Mm -hmm. is uh you know if you're selling digital cameras have a website of digital camera resource base, like Mm -hmm. info about digital cameras and digital photography. And so you, uh, you sell more cameras by becoming like a a go-to resource. Mm -hmm. And you, you make better cameras and have more remarkable cameras by filling up
1: your whole company with camera nerds that are all interested in experimenting with the technology and um, having a communication with like the, the people who buy it and asking them what they want and having it be a conversation about (laughs) how do we cut, um how do we break new ground and make new amazing cameras like what do you guys want what do you, what are the barriers to break through and stuff that's the way you do it i mean everything needs to become a a,
2: a community exercise or a social network in a way mm. and it, it also is like a lot about when you talk to the marketers online marketers it's like um the different stages especially if you have something like a personal brand like the first stage is you have your newsletter which is free and then you get so many people, and then a certain percentage of them will go to the blog, which is also free. But then slowly you want to get them to the higher tiers where they mm-hmm. start, and then maybe they pay for one article or one piece of art mm-hmm. or a small short video. And then a certain percentage of them will pay for like the full length video.
1: Seth Godin compares it to um, dating how, as you go through the dating cycle, you get a little bit more permission to the point where like. The person marries you and then you can have like assumed permission to like buy them clothes and things you know they've given you access to their bank accounts and stuff mm. because they know you love them yeah and you're going to be looking out for them mm. and you see that like subtly happening with certain brands where you can imagine like eventually like the people who are apple fans they could sign up to um some sort of subscription thing where like the new device just gets mailed to them automatically every six months and they drop the old one in a
2: box and they send it back to the company i never i never buy like a new cell phone because i know you know right now is the hot time to buy the last version of the old apple oh totally
1: and you don't need to wait long because the new thing that is going to be coming out soon i actually think that that's um any problems that apple is having right now i think are coming from the fact that they're too good like, I heard that there's a, a glass ceiling that they've hit for iPad sales because the old iPads are still working. Like, Todd's still working on version one, and he really likes it, and he doesn't care that they've released, like, better features and stuff because all
2: he's doing is word processing. Yeah. You know? They don't need all of the new bells and whistles. I'm going to get my mom, like, a Chinese iPad because I think she would understand the internet a lot better.
1: With a Chinese iPad as well, opposed to I'm, an American just because I'm iPad? not
2: rich right now, I won't buy her an American one. But I got, is it the I think, same? Well, I mean, it's got the same stuff. It's, it runs Android instead of Apple. Oh, sick! You can you know put the Android store on for her. She and doesn't All, she, to all learn, she wants to manner. do is like shop on Amazon. i like, trying to get her to the level where she feels comfortable shopping on Amazon.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, my mom is is not at that crossing point yet she still thinks that the computers are the mark of the beast mm. and that it's going to be a slow march to the
2: ovens for all of us my my uh my dad's generally really good at computer but my mom told me today that he got like scammed by someone on Kijiji. <laughs> like he was selling he's selling a boat and they were like well we're gonna if you give us a thousand dollars to do the wire transfer kind of scam Mm-hmm. or something like that and he fell for it so oh it they really got serious. his thousand bucks yeah or whatever oh, it was
1: fuck that burns i got burned by uh, a scammer i bought a camera uh probably 10 years ago off of ebay and um they it was all of the classic like red herrings where they wanted a cashier's check uh i had to mail it in before they would send me the thing um, it was a lady, so I thought that like, she benefited from a bit of sexism where I trusted her a little bit more. And then when my camera didn't arrive, she kept on stalling over and over and over again saying, like, just wait, just wait, it's in the mail, I've sent you the tracking number. You know, you put the tracking number into the website and it says like, picked up from mailer, but it doesn't have any information about what the product was, the size of the box and stuff, week after week after week. Eventually, I'm like, okay, I'm fucking canceling this order. I want my money refunded. And you realize that, like, the eBay complaint um, window is, like, 30 days. And then you can't give them a bad review on their store. And they, they don't, like... You can't get your money back. You can't get your money back or anything. eBay, like, kind of washes their hands of it after that window. And I was like... I realized that I, I, I had gotten burned. Like, she got me, right? She got my 250 bucks. And I, I messaged the eBay like complaint lady. I'm like, I realize that you guys can't do anything about this, but your policy's fucked up. Like there's no reason why 30 days is a arbitrary it seems like arbitrary, right? Like what difference does it make? There's, there's a, a big world out there and it takes a long time for products to move around. and I feel like you guys should have more pro- protection than that because like with PayPal or with a credit card, it doesn't matter like when the ripoff happened, you can always like call the complaint department up and say like, Within this reason, person yeah. didn't deliver the service. I want to like put a hold payment on it. And visa is big enough that they can say like, um, well, we do $10,000 worth a business with this customer. So we can uh, have a bit of insurance in place where we can investigate when we feel like they've done something illegal um ebay for a while
2: wasn't doing that but i think that they've added all sorts of new protection and that was a them. part of the reason why they bought out paypal because mm. they are they have to do the judgment on the case anyway yeah. so they kind of integrate the, the escrow mm-hmm. and the and the judgment of who got what yeah i i gave someone a real hassle i bought like a, a iphone off of him mm-hmm. and he promised me like a case and I, and the case wasn't in the box and i was like Okay, pay me ten dollars and he never paid me, so I put in a complaint for <laughs> ten dollars and PayPal paid me ten bucks.
1: Oh nice. Yeah. Oh. I love I love that the, the Chinese stars are all so sensitive about getting anything below a ninety nine point nine percent rating that they'll bend over backwards for you. Yeah. Like I, I bought um a generic uh mag the, the flip case for the, the iPad and it was it was ten dollars from the generic factory versus like 40 from the Apple place. And I got frustrated cause it wasn't here like two weeks after I bought it. So I messaged them and I said like, it didn't arrive. I want a refund. And they're like, so sorry, sir, blah, blah, blah. And they gave me my money back and they said, it's the honor system though. So if it does come through the mail, can you please like give us the money? And then, like probably three weeks after that, the the thing did arrive, and I was like, "Oh, you know, I'll honor that. I'll give them the ten bucks." It was sweet that they would mm. ha- have a little bit of trust there. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's the same. There, the the Chinese Chinese version of eBay is like eBay plus Amazon. It's like all oh, a lot of local little independent sellers. So they'll always be throwing like little gifts in your box when you buy stuff. And mm-hmm. they got everything on there, like from regular clothes to like, uh, you know, entire stores full of sex toys and mm. fruit and food. and
1: There was a crazy vice documentary about the mega uh, warehouses that Amazon's been building, mm-hmm. which are just rack upon rack of um, products in big plastic boxes. Mm-hmm. And whenever anybody orders something, it's completely automated. Like a robotic arm like zips across the thing and like picks the thing up and puts it on a conveyor belt. And then it shoots to the other side of the factory. And then somebody puts it in a box and slaps a tag on it and goes out the door. It's It must be crazy to be in the epicenter of that where like it's all just every electronic in the world is being made in the same spot and you could get something like the same day where you press ebay and then somebody shows up at your doorstep with the
2: yeah i heard a lot more about them the the ones that are more staffed by like pickers mm-hmm. and they basically you know you get a number and you must go it's like the big ikea warehouse you know go to bay b4 mm-hmm. get shelf number two you have 15 seconds to complete this task. <laughs> And, You're fired and, and it's and replaced all by it's all temporary it's all temporary workers so mm-hmm. you sign up and you get you know you have to walk in the cement all day so you get the that item and then you got to make sure well does it come with an additional piece it's in bay number two and then you get that back and then you immediately get your little device that's like please proceed to bay f11 i'm mm-hmm. gonna get this and put it in a box and they like you know they time you down to the second kind of thing jesus christ
1: There needs to be uh, a back end to this where there's really quick recycling of all this stuff because I'm, I'm with it as long as I'm with the whole, like let's make a Willy Wonka factory out of all this cool electronics, but I don't like the idea that, that it's all going to go in the landfill afterwards. They need like an, an equally amazing recycling company that like gathers up all this stuff and figures out cool ways to break it apart and,
2: well, they they ship the parts back to China. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, they have whole cities that are just devoted to tearing apart old electronics and
1: is it that creepy Indian style thing though where like there's giant piles of circuit boards with little yeah, kids yeah, yeah, like yeah. smashing it apart with hammers and yeah, stuff. Yeah, and
2: and like soldering in their flip-flops and
1: That's gross. They but, need to Amazon needs to tackle this. They need a new like super factory that has that's nice and clean and Yeah. I, I mean,
2: but for them it's like a concept like economic concept of externalities like how much of the costs of the general you know economic social cost of this device can we push onto society right mm-hmm. so you know you've paid x number of dollars for it but there's the health costs and the environmental costs that we leave you know for some other actor in society to pay for like governments or you know the, the end user when it's they not that expensive though or,
1: the crazy thing is like if you, you can see the the um, the pie chart of like how much of your four hundred dollars actually goes into the electronics and labor on like an iPhone or an iPad it's like less than twenty percent like most of it goes to the Apple and the the shareholders it's not stuff. a
2: lot but like look what happens when Ontario has the you know the re- uh, recycling fee you know you buy a hard drive embarrassing holy recycling moly. fee or you know uh, Rob Ford gets rid of the vehicle regi- vehicle registration tax it's like for someone who's buying a car or a house, you know, a little extra tax on your first house to, to, it's not that much money, mm-hmm. but for the city, that's a lot of money. Right. But people, people complain. But about, I feel like the, the
1: complaints were an expected reaction and deliberately um, designed, pr- deliberately provoked by the way that the program is implemented. Cause like the way that you do, you handle these taxes is you just have it behind the doors of the bureaucracy and, like, your money is going into a big pool, and then the government throws it around to the, the things that people should care about but are too selfish. And instead, they do, like, obnoxious things. Like, they print it directly on the receipt. Like, yeah. Canadian Tire doesn't want to have that tax there, so they deliberately write it on the receipt because so they know it'll provoke
2: an anger. Yeah, that in is like a thing. The, like, in a lot of other countries in the world, the taxes are just built into the price. Mm-hmm. You, don't, you don't ask how much the tax was. I mean it's it's
1: embarrassing that the cbc is having all of these problems because there should just be a levy on the screens where you pay an extra dollar when you buy your ipad or your television and the cbc gets full funding that
2: that's how the bbc does it Mm -hmm.
1: it's the perfect system but i think that uh you know obviously there's like political stuff involved right where um the conservatives have an ideology where they don't like the cbc anyway so that they're not trying to solve it they're trying to get that place to go under
2: yeah yeah well it's like the you know like the transit hate transit so we won't fund it Mm -hmm. and then it has to go under
1: or if we do fund it we're going to make sure we nickel and dime all the projects under the the uh, umbrella of like trying to save money for taxpayers but they end up, like, making lame buses and lame streetcars and lame subways. And then people go, like, what a waste of money. This subway doesn't go anywhere and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, why
2: you know, why would I take the subway? It doesn't, doesn't get me anywhere. It's not useful to me. I'll just drive my car.
1: But there's European countries where, like, you get on board the streetcar and it's all leather interiors and stuff. And it's a really luxurious experience. Yeah. yeah
2: and then that's another thing. Not to, not to advocate for the commun- Chinese Communist Party, but... You know, when you have central control, you can build 13 subway lines in Beijing. Mm-hmm. Like they only had one subway in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And since then, they've built 13 entire lines, right? And I mean,
1: you don't need to worry about thing, pesky things like health codes and stuff.
2: Yeah, like, well. Send people down into the tunnel. They,
1: <laughs> there's a cave-in. Eh, well, we were paying them. You know, we'll pay their
2: family. It's, it's, um, uh, it's a lot like, I think, the way America was in the 19th century, right? 100%. Like, uh, now they're coming around, especially environmental, because like 20% of the land, the arable land in China is poisoned by heavy metals. Uh oh. So, and, you know, irre- irrevocably destroyed Uh-oh. farmland. And, you know, you wake up and, you know, troll face? today. <laughs> 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 it's like uh, the Monopoly Man troll face, though. Sorry mm-hmm. we wrecked your land. And you get up and there's days where you can't take your baby outside. Uh oh. You know, because of the aerosol so fucking polluted and you get
1: like a giant migration of an entire chinese middle class moving into canada that's
2: true one of my i don't know this guy who's like having a baby with his wife and they plan to time their vacation to the time of the birth window so mm-hmm. they have a baby born in america he's like how's canada we haven't can even decide whether we want to go to canada and like i you know as a canadian i'm like oh canada's great but i'm also like fucking asshole like <laughs> you know i'm not really a nationalist but shit like that pisses me off Why? like because i don't know i Moving.
1: am pro-immigration i yeah, want all those not, brains but they're not immigrating really come to us
2: they just want like a safety net if things go to shit mm-hmm. in china so come know.
1: on over i like i yeah. like your moxie i like your uh, that you're thinking ahead and that you're you're yeah. willing to make your kid canadian it's kind of flattering
2: but no one can can become ch- chinese it's like impossible to immigrate to china they got
1: they got so many people you're always a foreigner
2: it. you're always thought of as an outsider
1: even if you're chinese but you weren't born there
2: um it maybe it'd be a little easier mm-hmm. but the only really foreigners are like they love this canadian guy called dashan so now, when we go out in the streets of, of this beautiful city, um, people are going to know who you are, right?
1: Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Shall we take a look? <laughs> he was him. on uh, the ROM. ROM had like a hidden temple or something exhibition of all sorts of imperial artifacts, and they had him on the commercials and uh my friend Mark DePap was telling me all about what's his name Dashan Dashan Big Mountain and he's he was a stand-up
2: comedian or something and then he became uh, unlikely famous Yeah, uh, the story is he studied chinese in his undergrad and his masters and he went to china and there was a uh, they do a lot of like um, they have those variety shows in Asia. I'll, uh, I, I, I know I dated a Vietnamese girl and now a Chinese girl. So both of them like variety shows. I won't make a blanket statement. But, <laughs> but Vietnamese and the Chinese, they love these variety shows. And, you know, there's comedy as part of them. So one of the comedy routines, they put a bunch of foreigners in the routine with their, not rudimentary Chinese, but, you know, foreign Chinese. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, the guy was Chinese was so good and he was so funny. Like he had the the perfect intonation and whining of. It's a sketch where he's Dashan and he's he's wearing like a guard, of his police uniform. He's just cold and he's trying to get in, but his wife won't let him in the house because he's like a flanderer. <laughs> but the way that he says it, it sounds like really local and really Chinese. So mm-hmm. he became like an instant celebrity. Mm. Um, and he can do... So he's not primarily a comedian. He's like a cultural ambassador. Like He loves China and he loves Canada. So he's like a cultural ambassador. But he can do this really hard form of Chinese comedy. I can't remember the Chinese name, but it's a lot like... Um, Abbott and Costello's Who's On First. Like the lines are really like back and forth and they rely on a lot of puns. Mm. Kind of the same style. So that's their like favorite, favorite comedy style. Right. And that goes back to the Qing dynasty. Like people would do it in the streets. Yeah. And his Chinese is good enough that he can do cross talk. It's called cross talk in English. And
1: he's, because it's remarkable that a white person can do that, he's managed to leverage that into yeah super fame? Yeah. Super stardom.
2: Super fame. So he was like a Olympic ambassador and every every the you know, only they Chinese people only mention Norman Bethune who's that he 's a famous Canadian that went to China as that he was a doctor and he went and worked on Chinese people okay and dashan i don 't even know his real his English name his his Canadian name I just know did you and, say
1: what dashan means
2: means big mountain big but mountain. but that 's the thing like his name is Dashan like his name he calls himself Dashan but that was the name of his character in the original sketch. <laughs> He'd be like, it's me, it's Dashan.
1: So he's kind of like Mr. T or something, where yeah, his I handle guess. has become...
2: His name, his actual name, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what his real name is. I think it's Mark something.
1: Does he have a Chinese wife?
2: Good question. Probably. Hmm. Probably. Crazy.
1: The son of Dashan. Little
2: Mountain. <laughs>
1: What's uh, Little Mountain?
2: Uh, xiao Shan. Xiao shan. <laughs> That's another thing, like... Uh, Part of the honorifics, like you call each other uncle and aunt and grandmother, but you you, you can also call each other old, old Chabot or old, old Yules, (laughs) little Yules, old Yules. Yeah. So old mountain,
1: big mountain. I had uh, some Chinese and Indonesian students when I was in Sheridan. I was, they were like my, um, what do you call it? Pupils when you're, when you have like a younger student that you're. A mentee. A mentor mentor mentee. what are the kids called though i don't know tutoring.
2: tutoring i was tutoring. doing
1: tutoring in yeah. uh, in college and they used to call me sensei all the time and
2: in, in chinese laosher laosher Lao
1: and they have I, I like the um what is it the korean thing where they they let it's they let, they add like an ah to the end of your name as an affection kind uh. of thing Our friend, our old roommate Chung uh, Chung Mo used to go like, "Your name will be Jesse Ah, and Jessica's new name will be Jessica Ah, because you are my friend." (laughs) You're like, "Eh, that's interesting." Was there any kind of like? um, Do they are they culturally um, cool? Like, is there any kind of how? What's like the conservatism revolving around? Like you having a. A long-term girlfriend that you live with and uh, their expectation about like marriage and They're and all not that, conservative
2: is it... in terms of like sex. Mm-hmm. I think mean, sex is, is not as taboo. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, but they're really family oriented. So like, you meet your girlfriend and you're already, you know, your second date is like a ticking towards the marriage. So I, her cousin got, you know, Ian's cousin got married within like a year of meeting this girl. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you get things like, like they're really big on like and, and I mean I, th- I feel like the girls you know date there with a with a expe- expectation of that you're gonna eventually propose to them, right Mao said something like if you if you sleep with a girl or date a girl with no intention of marrying her, it's just like raping them. Mao mm-hmm. said this interesting it's just like, sexual assault um but it, I think I mean I'm not single, but from the stories that I've heard from single people like. You know, people are pretty free with their sexuality, I think. Mm-hmm. But also, too, they're a little naive because, you know, you go through all your university and you never have time for a real boyfriend or a real dating. Right. So you meet 30-year-olds who are really like 25-year-olds. Developmentally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we've been dating, you know, since 13, 14, 15, 16. Mm-hmm. But that's like un- unimaginable really to them. So I guess a lot of it is naivete. And do you feel like... Because... Um,
1: you watch all these Woody Allen movies and stuff right especially now at our age like Woody Allen movies start to make a lot more sense when you get into your 30s because everybody's like having affairs or whatever divorces and there's all these this kind of like this it's an adult developmental stage where you get into your Woody Allen years I think I wonder if you have a culture that's developmentally um, 25 when they're in their 30s I wonder if they don't reach that midlife crisis thing where they start to think like American beauty where they're trapped and they want a divorce and stuff. I wonder if that gets delayed too. like, and I wonder why I wonder if that evolution is speeding up. Like our grandparents stayed together their whole life, but I wonder if it's because that developmental um, that, you know what I'm trying to get at? Like where they don't reach those Woody Allen years until later on. I wonder if it gets pushed back in countries that are more conservative. Like you stay more like a child. Well, like in your high I mean, school. I think
2: a lo- I think our grandparents probably hated each other just as much, mm-hmm. but they felt like they had to stay together. Mm-hmm. It's not as easy to get divorced back then. I think for my experience of uh, being away, like the pe- they get married so fast, and then you know they date them for five years, and they're like, oh, "Why the hell did I marry you?" Mm-hmm. Like now, I realize that we're we're not fit, but we're stuck. We got kids, and mm-hmm. it's not like divorce is religiously against the rules. It's more like you know, it's like a, a family affair, right? And breaking up this you know the next generation, the ancestors, and the proge- progeny and progenitors, mm-hmm. progeny, progeny. Mm-hmm. Um, so they just have second, they just have affairs. You only know the rich guys will have a second, a second wife, and there's mm-hmm. a whole thing. Where you're, you know, twenty years old, and you just get like a free apartment and a car for dating this businessman kind of thing, and the women have equally a number of affairs, I think.
1: Yeah, weren't you mentioning that there was like, it's not uncommon for people like middle-aged ladies to knock on the doors of of
2: people. Well, to I, I sex? mean, this is back to that Texas guy whose mom was the brothel, <laughs> and he was single coming back to China, and he was and another guy we met who was like older, he was Canadian and single, and just going back and. Picking up tons of like, there's like a thing with called leftover women where they, you know, um, women. Cougars? Like, cougars, but they never married and they're really picky. Like, they want a specific income status and you have to have this size house and this apartment. And then they turn 35 or 40 and they haven't found anyone because they've been too picky. Oh. Leftover women. Um, Yeah, so both of these guys were like single and older, like 50 or 45. Mm-hmm. And they were just like telling about all their escapades ex- in China.
1: I don't know if I could live that way. I think I'd get sad if I was I was uh picking on the leftover women.
2: Well, I mean it was when I was single it got sad after a while too. Mm-hmm. Right? Cuz you're like at first it's really great. You're like, yeah, like 30 years old, it's really great being 30. But then especially if I'm with online dating, but like you find like people are really desperate to have someone.
1: And not, desperate's the wrong word. It's 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 just kind of like people don't want to feel like a, a commodity where they get used up i
2: never felt like i was you know okay i got around but i never felt like i was using people but it's more like i don't know you after 3 weeks like yeah, totally. i don't know who you are especially maybe i'm biased cuz i had like a long term relationship and, mm-hmm. and it's just like I, i'm not ready to say you what i feel about you either way cuz i i don't you know it's fun i don't mm-hmm. but i i mean i guess too like you get older and you realize that that excitement at the beginning is not what love is supposed to be. I think like love comes, you know, when you're like completely down and out and you're, that's the only person in the world, except for maybe your mom who's going to like wipe your ass while you're an old, totally old person shitting your diapers kind of thing. Yeah.
1: And it, it extends uh, even beyond like romantic stuff, right? Where like you know who your friends are when like stuff is not going well. Yeah, yeah. And, and who can like back you up and who you can help, ask for help and stuff and who you can be vulnerable with, yeah. right? There's something about that kind of early onset lust where you're acting like Frank Sinatra and everything is kind of groovy and, and crazy. Um, but it doesn't align with with any of that end of relationship kind of stuff and i i I mean the latter half
2: i think like you can have like a sexual energy with someone who's completely not fit for you Mm -hmm. as as a girlfriend and you can have a great girlfriend who you are like yeah i can objectively say that it was like way more crazy with this person but i didn't pick them because of that yeah you know there's other other aspects
1: and you can compartmentalize too where it's just like yeah, that would be crazy to have sex with that crazy bitch, but yeah. oh my god, the old cliche about not wanting to take them home or whatever. It's it's uh you don't have the the whole the whole package. It's not this uh psychological connection. You're not the the kind of partner that I could count on to split my checkbook with. Yeah, and I <laughs> I
2: think for some people um they can't separate those two like they like they're like well if he's not a good person i would never be attracted to him or Mm -hmm. she but i think for other people they're like well i can separate your sexuality from the Mm -hmm. rest of your personality
1: and they also i find that like in my own life and with my own friends it's like in order to pick a good partner i think you have to kind of turn off your brain parts of your brain sometimes where you say like instead of looking at like this person as if they're a, a combination, like an avatar on the internet where like you can boost up their ratings and attractiveness or like intelligence or whatever, how do you feel like, does this person put you at ease? Do you feel happy? Like when you're around them, do they make you want to be a better person? You know, those kinds of things are really hard to put into words and hard to think of intellectually.
2: I agree, and I think that goes back to it. Like, I don't feel like those things happen right away. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't feel like I was completely so happy at the beginning of my current relationship. I wasn't unhappy, but, you know, there was a lot more friction than there is, I think, now. Yeah. But, I mean, it's been, I don't know, three years, four years, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Plus, too, like, you know, when you're men and women, you know, your girlfriend's, like, four years younger than you, so mm-hmm. you're in a completely different space. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you're turning... 32 or whatever and and you are coming out maybe out of the tail end of a thing that she's going into the Nose end or head end or whatever of something so
1: boy. That's a trip. I I work with some people that are like 22 years old and It's so easy to forget like when you're talking about most current events It's so easy to forget that they're a decade or more younger um, but then it kind of rears its head in like unexpected ways where it's like their perception of something doesn't make sense. Like they're overexcited about a certain thing that's coming up or like a trip they're going to be taking and stuff. And you go like, I remember being in that headspace. I remember being like giddy about certain things. It's it's funny how becoming older hardens you to the world a little bit where it's a bit harder to surprise you. It's, it's yeah, a bit harder to think, be naive about something. I don't think something.
2: novelty works as easy the older mm-hmm. you get. I was seeing somewhere like the reason why time seems to speed up is because novelty slows down time. Totally. Um, And, you know, the first time you take the bus to New York Mm -hmm. is, like, really mind-blowing. Or even when I used to take the the train to Toronto from Hamilton. Mm -hmm. But, you know, while China is really awesome, going and coming back is, like, not giving me the culture shock that I had even going to the United States or to Europe for the first time.
1: Werner Herzog has, like, a desperate plea that people who have any interest in travel do it now because it's all going away. Like the world is gentrifying and he's like, it's becoming harder and harder to find a place that doesn't have a Taco Bell or doesn't have a KFC, you know, that kind of weird culture shock where you know that you're not going to be able to find blank in this corner of the world. Like you're, you're going to have to become a different person for the, the extent of your trip or that great, like Trudeau, clip like where he's ta- he's just about to join parliament as like the minister of defense or the the, the nation's lawyer or whatever justice I justice think. minister yeah. and he's talking about like where he's been like leading up to his political career and he's talking about how he's visited all these war zones and he was like present during the chinese cultural revolution and then he goes to he goes to the middle east And a war breaks out between, like, Israel and the Arab states and stuff. And uh, they're like, how did you survive and stuff? He's like, well, you know, as long as you're polite and you don't walk around these countries like you own the place, people are generally hospitable. He's like, but you did end up in prison, right? He's like, briefly, we were crossing a border and they thought that I may have been a foreign spy. So they locked me up. He he could And later on, they told me it was the same cell they held Christ. <laughs> <laughs>
2: the thing is, he'd be a perfect... He's like the perfect candidate to be a foreign spy. Oh, totally. It comes from a little money, educated background.
1: Mm-hmm. But he just has to, like, smile his eyes and stuff at them, and they're like, maybe he's... I'll all right. vote for him. He's he got any money, he bribes some of the guards, and he's, he's out. <laughs> Did you ever hear that, this American Life episode, about the guy who was in... I think it was Chinese jail for like seven and a half years. Mm -hmm. He had done like some sort of very small infraction, like jaywalking or something. And he ended up going to jail. And because he kept on fighting the case, like he kept on pleading innocent over and over and over again, he got like stuck in the system. He couldn't get out of the cage. And then in the end, he ended up making friends with somebody in the prison system And they explained to him that it's just corruption. Like, all you need to do is pay a small amount of money to the cards and (laughs) to let you go. And it completely blew his mind. They did a whole segment on how it's, it's weird to be stuck in a situation where you just don't know one piece of information and that completely
2: changes. Yeah, I think like it's the arbitrariness there. Like, depending on which cop you get that day, you might get off with whatever or you might get really shit on, you know, like depends on whatever mood. Um, so yeah, so it's not so much like Nazism, like mm-hmm. it's not so much like fascism in that sense, but yeah. it's like, because there's no rule, rule of law, you, you don't know how they're going to apply the law that day, mm-hmm. with whoever the judge feels on that day. What, the, how far does their, their
1: legal documents go back? Like, I've always found it fascinating that if you're studying the law in the United Kingdom, like you go far enough back in their legal textbooks and you arrive at like the Magna Carta yeah. and like they're, it's still on the books. Like stuff, the rules for like how a lord behaves when like does he leave his sword at the door when he goes into a certain hall. Like, did they start all over after Mao? Uh, there... I think
2: during the Cultural Revolution there was there was basically <clears throat> no no rule of anything. Mm-hmm. It was kind of just it was an anarchy. Like there was still government, but you know they didn't really enforce the law in that kind of sense like they'd arrest you for being you know uh, counter revolutionary or the bourgeois or you know even you know in the end there's a really good movie um based on a book uh by Hua called to live in english it's mm-hmm. like a basically a uh examination of the communist revolution through the cultural revolution of this family mm-hmm. um yeah, and so you know, you you would if you happen to be like a teacher it, it, or the or like a doctor in a hospital, you know, the student doctors and the nurses and stuff would, you know, you were encouraged to rebel against authority. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'd rebel against the doctor, and you know there would be no one to do surgeries because the doctor would be like wearing a dunce cap and <laughs> having to s- spout his crimes and self criticism kind yeah. of thing.
1: Yeah, how did what is the the connection with communism like did. What I don't understand the the connection between like Mao and and uh, Stalinism and stuff. Like, what was the, the uh, overlap?
2: Well, Mao was one of the original members of the Communist Party of China, um, and then because you know the USSR was the successful communist revolution, they got copied a lot by other other systems. So
1: they're all based on the original writings
2: of. It's like. Marxist, Marx stuff, Lenin, Marxist the spread, Leninist, Stalinist, behind. Maoist kind of line of, of thought. Hmm. I mean, that's what their 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 guiding philosophy is Mao Zedong thought, right? Um, and you'll get a. I mean, he, Mao's he you know, won't die. Like you'll be going to like a tourist thing, and then they'll have you know the Buddhist statues and beads and all that stuff for sale, and then the booth beside it will be like a Mao booth. And there'll be all the Mao statues, and there's certain famous ones, you know, one where he's young and striding into the, you know, his hair's blowing in the wind, and the, certain, the bust of him. And then you go to a house, and, like, the bust is in the altar area. Like, I wouldn't call people very religious, but it's more like, you know, you have the, the Buddha altar, and you have the Mao altar, you know, the, the bust. You just mm-hmm. kind of put it there. looks nice. I guess it's the equivalent of like Americans having a, a flag, like George Washington. I guess or George Washington, yeah, and he's on all the money. Every every bill has Mao's face on it, and every coin. And you get in trouble if you deface it. I, I guess you would. I guess <laughs> Don't you would do that. But you, you know, like, can you, you dress know? up as Mao for Halloween? Probably not. But they have Mao lookalike contests. The winner that <laughs> that the winner of it is some woman. Actually, she's really good at it because he has that really that hair that goes back, and then the the. the up. yeah and they apparently and the, he holds cigarettes and they they impersonate him um but you know the lower classes really like him because um you know back then you had free health care and, and with your job came a free apartment you know you're you didn't have much but you know you knew that someone was taking care of you mm-hmm. um and all of a sudden with the like the mal leaves and you know lots of people are rich but mm-hmm. you know you're not necessarily any better off mm. um you know, you, you know, you might have a, a, you know, a few more household goods, but if you need, you know, if you need to send your kid to university, you can't afford it. Or if your mom gets sick, you can't send her to the hospital because they don't pay for healthcare anymore. They don't. No, in China, you got to get your own insurance. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of fucked up. Yeah. Isn't that a fundamental kind of thing? A ticket to the government taking care of you? Yeah, I guess so.
1: That doesn't make any sense. Yeah.
2: Um. So there was this one guy uh, last year the year before, kind of his little scandal, Bo lie, And he was like an up-and-coming communist. It's really hierarchical. Like you start in the provinces and you work your way up and then you get to the... You can, he was slated to get to the Politburo, like the top seven guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of his rhetoric was very Maoist. Like he brought back a lot of the Mao songs. And so he was really popular. Like he had a lot of popular support. Mm-hmm. Um, but his thing was, you know, he was contrasting the... The more Shenzhen Guangdong, Hong Kong philosophy of make the pie bigger, make make the pie bigger, and then your little piece of the pie will get bigger. He was like, "Well, why don't we divide the pie more equally like bigger mm-hmm. slices mm-hmm. and but then he got like totally selected for purge they don't kill you but you know they say you're cr- everyone's corrupt but they they find your corruption that day. I wonder if there's a there's a book that me- makes that analogy of the pie because I've had
1: a libertarian person on on the internet make the same argument to me about low taxes and stuff like that, non-government regulation. Mm. And I was like because I was making the argument that there needs to be some hand at work making sure things are a little bit more level because there's only so many resources out there, right? And under our current system, we have an enormous amount of wealth and political power because of that wealth being shoveled into a very small percentage of people like the aristocracy in the United States and Canada has more spending power and um, ability to influence the direction of the country than 98% of the population. And um, yeah, he was basically making the analogy that like, as long as you allow markets to get, super huge like the wealth equality like takes care of itself and i was like "Mm, i don't think so man it's always yeah the libertarians are always like
2: we don't need environmental protection because if someone pollutes your air you just sue them and win in the courts (laughs) right we already have laws for that so like you know but they don't win in the courts. no they don't
1: the walmart has better more expensive lawyers market forces are working on the court too where the rich person ends up being able to do whatever
2: they want yeah motherfuckers i don't know yeah so you know the thing about the communist party is they actually have a lot of internal divisions and mm-hmm. like they have their their own parties within the party like their own wings and you know this guy's base of support comes from the young young communist wing and this guy's base of support, he's the Shanghai clique.
1: And is there like somebody who are closer to the workers and some people who are closer to the factory owners? I don't
2: think that there's people closer to the workers. Um, but there's definitely people who, you know, they all think that we need to develop. It's more like in which way, you know, do we need... The, you know, last year, the big debate, they had the new guy, Xi Jinping, mm-hmm. and he had the, his little plenum and he was like well we need to start developing our internal market because mm-hmm. globalized markets are getting saturated and other countries are under undercutting us kind of thing yep so he wants to focus inward and westward mm-hmm. um, so you'll have that you know which way the country should go but once it gets to the public face it's like they close ranks and like this is the decision of the party no one debates it and i mean you that's know, smart you, they do that here you have like news debates and stuff like people are allowed to talk about you know is this a good idea you're just not allowed to say there should be no communist party, mm-hmm. but you can, you can be like, you know, should we raise interest rates? Should we have more investment in heavy industry? You know, all those questions are allowed. Yeah. It's just, you can't be like, should we have multi-party democracy? Like there's a, they're going through that in Hong Kong right now. Cause, um, Britain's Britain in the last years of giving, before they gave back Hong Kong sneakily gave the Hong Kongese, uh, democracy, which they hadn't had for like the hundred years, or whatever and that Britain's britain owned owned hong kong mm-hmm. um so one of the one of the promises um when britain gave back hong kong is that they would get to keep their system so beijing you know the, the way that they've set it up is you know they the people get to vote but only for um candidates selected by like a council of elders or an arist- arist- aristocratic council you know mm-hmm. and they're all pro beijing and appointed by the mainland there's like a thousand of them or something like so, the senate yeah, kind of like the Senate, but there they select who can be voted for. So you know they're going to select someone pro Beijing. Um, so the the Hong Kong, especially the kids, they're like, you know, we want true free elections. Like we want to choose our own candidates. Um, but Hong Kong, but then you know Beijing says, well, you know, Hong Kong is part of China. Like you can't then expect to elect uh head of a head of your city, a head of your special region. That's going to be against beijing or against Mm -hmm. the communist parties we can't let that happen kind of thing Mm. and taiwan is really watching it too because taiwan still taiwan still thinks they're china and and china still thinks taiwan is china but in the american foreign policy is like the um they all they say is taiwan is part of china but they don't say who who rules taiwan or or who gets to decide when it goes back all they and that's the way that china and and uh, the united states get to be friends
1: It's also the way the Americans run their country, right? Like, there's a big, diverse population, but everybody has a different definition of what the union is and what America stands for, and that's the the way that the the strange bedfellows can all live together.
2: Yeah. So, Taiwan is like, because Beijing has been like, okay, Taiwan, if you come back, we'll give you the same deal as Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. And so, Taiwan's like, well, the deal looks pretty shitty now. Right. Because Taiwan is, you know, a huge economy and their own, they just, well, they just got democracy in like the late 90s, I think. Yeah. Because then there was Chiang Kai-shek, he leaves China, mm-hmm. goes to Taiwan, and then his son is like, follows him mm-hmm. as like a dictator. Um, but yeah, so they just got democracy in the last 20 years well, I mean, or something. The
1: really interesting idea that I heard that made me understand communism a little bit better is that. There was somebody that was, was saying that it's the most effective way of industrializing a country in, in a, a generation. So eventually I think that we'll reach a, a um, an understanding that this is just the way countries evolve. That if you're going to take a third world nation, it's got to go through a communist phase for a generation until you get all the roads built and the subway tunnels and stuff in place and the internet up. It, it- and then it shifts over into like a market capitalism It, kind it of thing. It,
2: it definitely, the whole country is run like a giant corporation. There's mm-hmm. like a board of directors, you know, and they each have their policy groups and they just make a decision and that's the decision for the whole country. Jeez
1: Louise. Well, I think we're going to have to wrap up because I got to piss super bad. All right, man. But that was super interesting. I'm cool. glad that, uh, that you've took the dive. I know that this was an unexpected adventure, but it seems like it's, it's gonna be yeah yeah. I mean I don't know how, how long it's
2: gonna kind of keep up. Like we really miss Canada coming back. Like mm-hmm. I, I think we don't appreciate just how fucking blue the sky is here, mm-hmm. and that's kind of. I don't think we
1: appreciate like how polluted that place is getting. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: I wonder. I hope it never becomes like a fucking. You know how like the Nazis were always talking about Liebenstrom. They're like we need we need living space because mm. there's too many Germans and like we don't have enough farmland and stuff. And that's what made them militaristic and want to spread out. I yeah. hope that there's never a movement in China where they're like, we've been dirtying up this place too much. We got to move to Canada.
2: It's funny too, cause like all the propaganda is now about the Chinese dream. Like that's the, mm-hmm. the, the latest phrase is Chinese dream. And they have all this kind of folk art as part of their propaganda posters. Isn't all like green meadows and grandfathers and babies like rolling around in the grass under blue skies and stuff like this. And
1: I'll make one final point. Like uh, Todd, when he was talking earlier in the week, he was saying that there's strange things that happen in a country when the aristocracy, the middle class, the upper class, middle class, when they lose interest in believing in their country. And what he means is, like, as long as there's rich Canadians that still believe in the Canadian dream, they won't mind paying taxes and doing big, like, mega projects to make the country interesting. Mm. And as soon as that covenant is broken and they start putting their money into other countries and thinking of themselves as like citizens of the world, the country starts to decline. And one thing that he says that he thinks that, or one thing that I feel like I've gotten from you is that there's still an idea about everybody across the board has a belief in like having a strong China and a, a, a great China. And that makes it, that makes a, the contrast between that and Canada, I think, is, is relevant. Mm. I wonder if that's going to change our trajectories in an interesting way.
2: Mm. Um, I don't know. I think it's like just that state of their development, right? They really have to be. I mean, we're just like post-nationalists, especially mm. Canada. Yeah. You know, we're all from somewhere else, but we all feel very Canadian. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, China is, is still have, feels like the underdog in a lot of ways, I think.
1: And it's it's so funny like to be able to to judge a country where the a country is at culturally by their reverence for the government. Like there's always there's kind of a reverence around the presidency in the United States, yeah. where like even if you call Obama a shithead, it's still a great honor to like be able to shake the president's hand. You call Mr. President and going to the White House is a big deal. I don't even think I would go if Stephen Harper invited us. You have to pay me to go. You know Canadians have absolute disdain for our. Own government. <laughs> there, there
2: was this one day where like the news report that, uh, there, the the head of the country Xi Jinping goes to this local dumpling stand and orders dumpling <laughs> dumplings and uh intes- intestine soup and so what he ordered is now a combo meal <laughs> in honor in honor of his visit Fuck. and we went there like months later and there was still a line
1: still a line yeah. people wanted to have the they same want the thing
2: con- the a... combo.
1: <laughs> bring me back some yeah next time you visit all right okay that's it cool what is your twitter
2: uh Steven with a V. Shabot C H A B O T one word. Story. Get on there. Alright. Take bye care. Bye bye.
1: <laughs> Two hours. Just like that. No fucking problem. I don't understand like all well, these politicians don't want to start up podcasts. It's such a better way to spread ideas. I'll smoke a bowl. Oh, I mean, but I feel like that's that's their weird response, right? Like let they've me got slide. that weird filter right there, where they're worried that they make like, miss us, I a but, red but if you just don't let them next, you shouldn't have to worry again.
0: Yeah. So, so, let me slide it on, you know, people. I notice when I come home
1: in the evening, she ain't got nothing nice to say to me. But for five years, she was so nice. I know what you would love to do.
2: Hey, Jessica, what's your Wi-Fi password? K or N?